Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. We're here with Galen Dahl, uh, editor at large of uh, Visegrad Insights, um, to talk um, about uh, monthly foresight for April. So Galen is uh, the driving force behind uh, weekly outlooks, monthly foresights, which you may have seen on the website. Uh, Galen, nice to have you on the podcast. Hi, Kosti. Very good to be here. So uh, let's dig into um, some of the stories uh, of for this month, April. Uh, you've been working, just published um, the monthly foresight uh, for April. And um, well, one of the eye catchers is, is the elections in, in Bulgaria. And uh, I wanted to ask about the title because the headline says Bulgarians reject political establishment. And uh, what do you see as, as the story behind, uh, behind the elections? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been in a. It's, it's, it was been a little bit of a dramatic uh, election, and the reason was um, there's the three dominating parties uh, of Bulgaria for the past 30 years have been the current ruling party GERB, uh, which is led by uh, Prime Minister Borisov, and um, then there's the Bulgarian Socialist Party, as well as the Movement for uh, Freedom and uh, Rights and Freedom, which is traditionally kind of made up of uh, or supported by ethnic Turks. What's been kind of fascinating is that all three parties lost support, um, some more dramatically than others. But uh, certainly the, the ruling party, GERB, lost between eight and nine percent. It's, it's, I don't know if it's quite finalized yet. Um, and that's going to make it extremely difficult for the prime minister to kind of form a new government. Uh, and this is also uh, kind of his situation has been exacerbated by his coalition partners, which were uh, a grouping of kind of three nationalist parties, um, didn't actually meet the four percent threshold. So they won't be in the next parliament at all. Uh, so essentially, the the three parties that we see, so in total there'll be six parties in the new parliament, the three traditional ones that I mentioned. And then what's fascinating is that the other three are brand new parties that haven't actually existed before. Um, by far the most notable winner is uh, the, the party called There Is Such a Party, which is led by uh, Slavoj uh, Trifonov, um, a former rocker and a populist who um, really kind of energized uh, the electric through kind of concerts and different meetings in his television show. Um, it's yet to see where he's going to fall in the political spectrum. Uh, he even kind of did a little bit of vaccine um, denial a year ago. So there, you really don't know where that's going to go. Um, but then the two remaining parties were notably uh, uh, anti-corruption. Uh, based in their platform. And this most likely stems then from the uh, the protests from last summer, uh, the very large protests in Bulgaria um, that maybe didn't have an immediate impact on Bulgaria society, but we now see we're the kind of catalyst uh, for the political movements that are going to be entering parliament in the next session. So if I understand well, some of the, the more established parties definitely lost a bit, but at the same time, it still seems that it, it will be very difficult to form a coalition without GERB uh, and, and going also beyond uh, Borisov. So if you're thinking a bit more in terms of scenarios, what could happen, how do you see this potentially to play out? Is, is it feasible to see these new anti-establishment parties easily crossing uh, the Danube and uh, and then and, and, uh, cooperating with with GERB for example or yeah 
it's 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 an interesting one. Um, I mean, logistically, uh, the the populist party there is such a party, uh, as well as the the two you know anti corruption parties, which are Democratic Bulgaria and stand up um, collectively. I think they make up around uh, between 30 and 35% of the vote. Um, so they're definitely going to be shy uh, of the seats necessary uh, to form a, a ruling coalition. Um, what's going to, I think there's, there's two possibilities though. I think the first one of course will be Borisov will have a chance to form a coalition. Of course he's the winner and he, and he should, um, what it would require in that case would be uh, for there to be the three parties that I've said before have dominated uh, the politics, political landscape, GERB, the Movement for Freedom and Rights, as well as the Bulgarian Socialist Party. They'd have to put aside their past differences. And then the three of them do have, uh, they would have enough votes or enough uh, parliamentary members to form a coalition. But the kind of strange scenario about that would be, well, these are three parties that just lost support. And so they would be three weak parties forming a coalition. Um, is it possible? Yes, it is absolutely possible. I don't find it very likely, um, but it is possible. But yeah, then in the case where you have the, the three new parties, um, it would be the populist uh, Slavi Trifolnu, who would be the, the leader in that case. And I, I might, my assumption would be they'd probably go to the socialists to see if they could form a party, uh, a coalition. But Again, I, a likelihood is it's really unknown, and I think that's the whole uh, kind of the whole point is that the situation for the next couple of weeks and months, I think, are going to be rather unsettled um, in Bulgaria. And it, I, I would not think it's impossible at all that there could be future parliamentary elections in the autumn. I think that could definitely happen, and that would coincide with a presidential election that's going to be occurring at the same time. Yes, I mean, interesting developments in any case also from the point of view of, of well, EU, given also GURPS quite important role also within sort of the, the center-right European People's Party. Um, but then also, um, I mean, Bulgaria is not also unspoken of uh, when it comes to questions of, of rule of law, and I think the protests is, are also taking, um, taking a place there. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you think this is, I'm sorry, this is a really good point you bring up because, um, I mean, yeah, I think Bulgarians are, I think, are fed up with the mafia states and the, their their current uh, uh, political options. Uh, the level of corruption, high and medium level, is really rampant. And as you know, mentioned that the the protests from the summer and how they led to the events of the current election um, do play out and kind of suggest. The Bulgarians want to change. They want to, they want a new kind of political options. And maybe there, this is going to be a good message to the EU to say that Bulgaria should be held more accountable, perhaps similar to like the ways that, you know, Hungary and Poland have been in recent years. But Bulgaria has basically been treated as, well, they, the EU has been rather silent. They haven't really, you know, put any infractions that have been rather obvious. Um, so it would be very interesting to see if the EU starts to step up pressure on the government. I think that would be a fascinating turn. Let me connect it maybe to another issue, which I wanted to touch upon is also part of, of, of the foresight, uh, which is vaccines, COVID-19. Um, did it really play a, a role in these elections? And because I'm, I'm also asking because Bulgaria is not doing that well when it comes, for example, to vaccination. And this is something we see pretty much all across Central Europe. and Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, 
I mean, it, there, there was a couple things that were interesting. During the election, uh, Bulgaria actually kind of pivoted, or at least uh, the ruling party group, pivoted towards supporting the EU, um, which which is not often, you know, the, their kind of messaging. Um, but it was in line, I think, with needing support uh, uh, for vaccine rolling. But, but this is this is crucial because the EU has, has such a shambolic uh, uh, vaccine uh, program uh, from everything from procurement to rollout. And and there's also been inconsistent messaging. So um, when you have you know the 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 national like the leaders of nations you know basically at odds with the commission, not agreeing on what should be the strategy forward, whether or not they should uh, limit um, exports of vaccine or if they should focus on you know quote unquote global value chains, um, and 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 the leaders of the nations kind of promoting the, you know, the second there. And then you have, of course, uh, Terry Breton, the EU's uh, internal market commissioner, days after that decision, saying that, well, if AstraZeneca doesn't fulfill their obligations to the EU, we will block their exports. And there, there's that kind of confusion, I think, has led towards um, space open for domestic governments to kind of place blame on, on the EU uh, and Brussels specifically, of course, for you know, the, the, the negative situation that they find themselves in different countries. But yes, Bulgaria has had a very rough time of it when it comes to COVID. Um, but, you know, the truth of it, that's kind of strange because um, the, the, the country that has had the most success when it comes to vaccine procurement, Hungary, uh, uh, is actually in the second worst position when it comes to COVID-19 deaths. This was from uh, a comment that, you know, is extrapolated from uh, Edith Segutz, one of our fellows, who uh, she really kind of pointed out the fact that there's uh, there's a real disconnect between the, the propaganda of the Hungarian government for their success uh, versus what is the actual reality on the ground. Um, and a lot of this has to do, of course, with the opaque media sphere where uh, journalists aren't allowed to even get into hospitals to see what the situation is. And uh, people are reliant on either the government media, which then everything seems rosy, or um, social media accounts of physicians on the front line, spelling a very different picture. You can juxtapose that then, of course, with Poland, uh, where Poland, is, you know, where you are right now, and it's facing a huge surge of cases. Um, and what, what, what has been interesting there is um, Prime Minister Morawiecki has um, gone on to kind of in a way suggests that the EU should use all their legal options to kind of boost production, which actually happily today, France says that they are, they're going to start production. So that should actually alleviate a little bit of the stress. Um, but then that is compared with the de facto leader of Poland, uh, Jarosław Kaczynski, who um, made some very strange statements recently. Um, in, a, in a speech, uh, he kind of ominously hinted towards in, uh, interesting times were coming. And then he was trying to bridge uh, the EU's rather, you know, deficient handling of the pandemic um, towards these uh, uh, um, kind of his what his non-democratic colleagues in the area, his illiberal leaders, have said basically social policy overreach and saying that um, the, the the traditional Polish culture is uh, being uh, attacked. Um, by uh, LGBTQ ideology and and this such, and and it's and he, he went even further to say that the uh, and this is where a real conspiracy thread might have been starting. Uh, he suggested without proof that the countries in the EU who supplied more or gave more money received more vaccines. 
Um, there's actually been proof counter that, but it is an interesting idea that he's floating and you wonder if this is going to develop into something that he might use in his use further down the line. We're not sure yet. It's a way of, of creating confusion and, and uh, dissent as well. I mean, this is one of the things also that strikes me when, when thinking about vaccine nationalism uh, is, is how, I mean, we're, we're months later already and there's still very little agreement or at least faces looking in the same direction. If you compare it to the U.S. and, and Operation Warp Speed and, and the news this week that um, that. Uh, vaccination for adult population is is even i mean if you look at the schedule uh it's it's just so different from 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 the eu and then we're not talking here maybe about a major discrepancy in the amount of money that was spent on on helping um pharmaceutical companies in developing but uh a really different approach different strategy uh in the us which seems to be paying off for now no, it does. It does. And that's an inter- that is an interesting comparison. Um, I have to look more into this because I can't, uh, I'll be honest, this is one of those things where um, the, the, the quote unquote warp speed that, we, <laughs> that you mentioned, um, I, I've heard some reports that that was really uh, more so just a branding and that it, things didn't really kick off until after that kind of ended. But yeah, um, but you, you know, it's, it's actually, it is shocking. Um, I mean, they're saying, I believe in the next week, that anyone over 16 should be able to have the vaccine by the end of April or uh, starting next week or even and then, which, I mean, you'll have uh, 200 million people vaccinated in a couple of weeks. And if we compare that to, to Slovakia, for example, where there's doubt whether even uh, a large part of the, the adult population will be vaccinated uh, by the end of the summer. And, and the, the, there's worse cases uh, than, than Slovakia. It is... Uh, Quite, um, quite, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and this is like, we can go on a positive side, um, uh, from, from Hungary and say, you know, um, they did send, uh, I think it was something like 80,000 doses or something of the vaccine to Czechia, uh, to their, I mean, the only country that has a high COVID death rate besides Hungary is Czechia. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's a nice thing of kind of, you know, regional cooperation and solidarity. Um, and that does occur. And we, and I think that is something positive to note, but absolutely. Um, uh, I think it's, I think it is, it is, it is showing though that there's a lot of, um, well, mismanagement of the governments and, 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 and even not just on the, uh, international or let's say the European level, um, but domestically as well. As is, of course, the case with Slovakia. Uh, like in Slovakia, probably don't help. But uh, I still want to touch upon one subject, which is uh, last meets, last uh, week's meeting between uh, Salvini, uh, Morawiecki and, uh, and Viktor Orban, which uh, got quite a, quite a bit of attention uh, in the press. Uh, what, uh, what is your take there? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, <laughs> it's, not to, it's hard not to enjoy meeting, but their slogan was making Europe great again. I mean, I, not only is that like just hilarious trolling, um, but, but I think to kind of trigger any uh, any you know liberal politicians. Um, uh, but you know, of course, okay. I mean, yes, the meeting was between uh, Hungary's Fidesz, uh, Italy's uh, Liga Nord, and Poland's Peace, and uh, the idea of behind the the coalition of a far right grouping. Um, I think it's very attractive for the. Yeah, the potential of it is very attractive because if they were somehow to make a, you know, their 
the three groupings uh, uh, manifest together uh, in in Europe uh, as one kind of really broader sense. They'd be the second largest party in the European Parliament, and they would wield a lot of clout and a lot of power. Of course, then it comes to the logistics, and logistics are really where it doesn't seem to add up. Um, uh, as uh, again, as actually uh, uh, political capital, uh, I think take in, in Budapest pointed out um, in a great research, um, the, the the voting uh, tendencies of Fidesz after they left EPP um, were still really in line with EPP, and I, as well as Poland's peace. And I, I think you can kind of see where there are um, a lot of areas where they can cross and they can agree. But when it comes to um, you know, Legia Nord, um, hardly at all. And when it, uh, and of course the Germans, the alternative for Deutschland, uh, barely in, in anything. So for them to kind of somehow meet a coalition and then form a platform that they would agree to vote, I, I find it far-fetched, but, um, but it is potential. There's definitely potential there. And I think it, it is attractive. I think finding, finding agreement on Russia will probably be one of the bigger obstacles, uh, for, for these parties, um, actually to form, because I mean, their foreign policy is to some extent quite different on, on this issue and how they see the Eastern neighborhood. Oh yeah, yeah, so even Fidesz and Peace, I mean, the two who are maybe closest aligned have completely different ideas about Russia and Peace is really adamant in that, in that area. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And, and of course, uh, and, and there, there's so much news. I mean, I think for people to, if they want to look at the, the foresight, I mean, we have, we've been touched on like, you know, Ukraine or the, the issues going on there in Moldova. Um, and there's there's some great pieces, so uh, uh, links to uh, work from our fellows. So definitely something to check out. Yes, there will be more on some of these issues uh, later in the podcast. Uh, in any case, Galen, thanks a lot uh, for for joining us, talking us through some of the the bigger stories of the week. And uh, yeah, we'll be happy also to share the the link of the article in the in the description of the podcast. Thanks. Great. Thanks very much. If you're interested in receiving Visegrad Insight Special Democratic Security Monthly Foresight and Weekly Outlook, subscribe now. Write to us, contact at visegradinsight.eu to receive special discount code only for the listeners of the Visegrad Insight podcast and refer to this episode. We'll be happy to send you a discount code tailored specially for your needs. Uh, let me welcome now Asia Metodieva, Visegrad Insight Fellow and a Senior Researcher at the Institute of International Relations, Prague. In her latest analysis for Visegrad Insight from 24th of March, Asia is analyzing the position of Bulgarian democracy in the context of the European struggle for uh, preserving democratic regime or democratic game as the only game in town. We're now speaking directly after the elections in Bulgaria. And the first question is, can we say that the protest votes dominated the last elections? Protest votes made it clear that uh, the status quo in Bulgaria is not desired anymore. And there are several layers of this argument. First, new parties opposing the establishment or the status quo gained the trust of voters. Second, the Bulgarian Socialist Party lost its second position traditionally occupied for the past 20 years when they were not in power. 
And finally, there was a large, I would say, a record number of Bulgarians living abroad uh, who voted in this election, showing that they want to have an active voice and active participation in the political process in the country. Overall, the big parties of the establishment were punished by, by the voters due to their failures to secure rule of law. And this way they made space for anti-corruption and populist forces to gain influence. So the result, the results of, of, um, of the 2021 parliamentary elections in Bulgaria show a change in the political landscape with a strong support for uh, new political actors and uh, I would say anti-GERP or anti-the-ruling-party attitudes. Um, so these political actors to a large extent emerged from the protest last summer or they were supportive of, uh, of the uh, dissatisfaction and, and the protests of the people on the streets of Sofia last year. Basically, what we can see now is that one third of the seats in the new parliament will be taken up by parties that were not represented in the previous par parliament. Um, and one of them is um, uh, da Bulgaria, uh, the party of uh, Christo Ivanov, um, being persistently one of the opposition voices in the country, especially during the, the 2020 anti-governmental protests. Also, uh, the rhetoric of uh, Slavi Trifonov, a TV personality whose uh, party is second in this election, has been anti-establishment. And this is, I, I believe, what people recognized as their own agenda or their own priority right now. So to summarize, the protest votes um do not dominate the election results in terms of numbers or seats in the parliament, but the protest votes define this election. And there is a clear message from the voters this time to the ruling party, GERP, uh, to say, we don't want you anymore. We are fed up with, 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 with your politics and we want somebody new to come and to show uh, what they can uh, do to improve our lives. And what about the new parties? I mean, what do they mean for the political scene and for democracy in Bulgaria overall? It is really interesting to look at the actors entering the, the political scene in Bulgaria. Um, according to the election results, six parties will be part of the next parliament, while the ruling party GERP of Boyko Borisov has received 26% of the votes. There are three completely new parties entering the game. Um, one of them is there is such a people or a nation, ITN, of the Bulgarian TV personality Slavi Trifonov. Um, winning almost 18% of the votes. The other one is uh, Da Bulgaria of Christo Ivanov um, with 10%. And the final addition to the parliament is Stand Up BG, a small party established following the 2020 anti-governmental protests in the country. So let's look at them separately because it's a very, a very, very curious combination of new political actors. Um, according to many analysts, the, the big winner of, of, of this election is uh, Slavi Trifonov. A famous singer, a TV um, talk show host, uh, known to the large audience in the country um, for 
many years being on, on TV. Uh, his party is a continuation of a political engagement, the political engagement of Trifonov, uh, who uh, a few years ago organized a referendum to reform the political system. Many people back then supported this uh, these actions, except the political parties in power, of course. Now, Trifonov's party is winning one in five votes nationally, and it is the most supported party among Bulgarians living abroad. There might be different explanations uh, to uh, to this success, but what is interesting is that despite declaring um, um, being anti-establishment and um, anti-GERP uh, party uh, and being supportive of uh, the, the protests last summer, um, Trifonov's party never engaged actively with the anti-governmental demonstrations in 2020. Um, there was no election campaign or debates in which uh, his party took part. Uh, but it is clear that for the past years, Trifonov has managed to give a voice to people's dissatisfaction with the system. And he did it in, in a way or let's say with a language of a TV personality of someone who has been on air for 30 years and who knows how to talk to people. Um, his party uses uh, the rhetoric, like the uh, patriotic rhetoric, uh, patriotic songs um, as a way to communicate their messages. And people obviously liked this. Uh, what we know about the, the orientation of ITN is, is that um, so far they want to fight corruption. They're against the status quo. They're ready to cooperate with the other two new parties entering the parliament and they they have pro-EU and pro-NATO stances. Uh, looking at the second um, new party, Da Bulgaria of Christo Ivanov, I would say that um, its performance in this election is uh, one of the, the positive out outcomes um, because, again, Da Bulgaria is uh, a pro-EU, pro-Western party. Um, using a very explicit anti-corruption platform and uh, getting the support of many members of uh, the Bulgarian diaspora. Uh, it is one of the preferred parties among Bulgarians living uh, abroad together with, with ITN. Uh, and it is also very popular among young people, um, also highly educated uh, uh, people in the society. Um, and uh, this uh, means that its performance is recognized as a sort of alternative to, to the status quo. And the last party, um, Stand Up BG, as I mentioned, it's a very, very small new political project uh, formed around um, Maya Manolova, who previously was a member of the parliament from the Socialist Party, a very recognizable figure. Uh, and also three prominent organizers of the last summer's protests. So um, they are also seen as an alternative, but their performance in this election is rather limited, um, taking into account that they were on media very often for the past year. They emerged from the protests and they had the time to, to build a narrative uh, to help them have a better result in the election. They also want to cooperate and uh, will be probably seen, uh, we will see their role uh, in the future political negotiations in the next weeks. But what is important is that they are seen as a new player in the central left part of the spectrum, 
um, to a certain extent uh, replacing or stealing votes from uh, the Bulgarian Socialist Party. Thank you, Asia. Now, a more general question. Where is Bulgaria heading after these elections? There are several possible scenarios after uh, this election. GERP, uh, the ruling party having the largest part of the votes, is uh, going to try to make government. However, so far, uh, none of the other parties with uh, seats in the new parliament uh, have declared their intention to participate uh, nor to support a new government led by Borisov and GERP. Uh, from this point of view, it is rather unlikely to see um, a government uh, led by Borisov. Um, then the second scenario, according to the constitution, the second party with uh, the, the second largest number of votes, uh, which is the one of the TV host Slavi Trifonov, uh, will have the chance to try to make a government. Even though uh, they have the, the support or declared support from the other two new um, political parties uh, with seats in the parliament, Slavi Trifonov will not have enough um, number of, um, of deputies to to get support for for a government led by his party. So the question is if uh, he's going to accept support from some of the so-called parties of the establishment, like um, GERP of Bojko Borisov or the Bulgarian Socialist Party. This scenario is also seen as um, it is seen as possible, but uh, less likely, let's say. And finally, the option that has been discussed uh, in the uh, in the recent days after after the election um, is the option of uh, having another round of elections, right? To to have early elections uh, if a government cannot be made after after the results we 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 we've got on fourth of April. And this possibility is seen as very likely uh, because uh, obviously the, the, the new political players uh, in, in the parliament do not want to cooperate with the so-called old parties or, or the parties who have already experience with being in power. So looking at these three scenarios, I would say that uh, the possibilities to uh, have um, some sort of like a political crisis in Bulgaria or political um, transformation and another round of election uh, before the end of 2020, uh, 2021 is, um, is very likely. Thank you for listening to this episode featuring Quincy Klutz, Galen Dahl, Asia Metodieva and myself, Wojciech Przybylski. 